trying to picture clusters of information as they move through the computer. What did they look like? Ships, motorcycles. Were the circuits like freeways? I kept dreaming of a world I thought I'd never see. And then, one day, I got in. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Michael Miller, and it is so good to be here again, filling your minds and ears with either fearful prognostications on technology or the good news about how technology can make your life better. Paul, which role do you take? I am definitely the pessimist. Definitely the pessimist. <laughs> I guess that puts me into the optimist role, which I will I will gladly take anyway. Although, which I don't like to to think of as an association you know, that I with your character perhaps yeah. but maybe technology is just so evil and terrible that you just can't help it sometimes right now i'm being a pessimist because so. actually i don't feel that way but that does lead us into the the portion where we we, we talk about oh yep yes, why you should be is. afraid let's just let that fear sink in for a moment and panic also. fear and panic Technology is everywhere. And swatting apparently is too. We talked about it last week. What is swatting, Paul? That's when somebody gains the ability to um, appear to make a phone call from a residence and claim that they're... Uh, is need of a SWAT team, and hence the name. A, a phone in. call I would hope I would never have to make. Is specifically, you know, requesting a SWAT team yes. seems re- kind of like saying, I really, really need a tactical nuclear strike right. here. It's just <laughs> a bad day. It's a bad day, Let's though. not exaggerate. It's officially it's bad a bad enough. day. These guys are faking bad days. And last week we talked about a security researcher who had fallen victim to this type of activity, who had had his house surrounded. Yeah. By a SWAT team, it can and be very serious. You know, yeah. they're, they're saying shots fired and that kind of thing. When it's well, sure, because bogus. I mean, how else would the SWAT team react if mm-hmm. they think? Apparently, for the security researcher, someone had called and said he was tripping on LSD and threatening to kill his whole family. Im- imminent danger. Yeah. So they yell at him to get on the ground, and he does because he's smart enough to know that when people point a machine gun at you and yell that, you you don't say yeah. no immediately. You explain later. Yeah. And not everyone is necessarily smart enough to do that, which is just one of the many reasons this is not a really great thing. Well, as it turns out, this week I thought. Gee, I wonder if there's been any prognostications on that, if there's been any forward momentum. What news is there on swatting? And as it turns out, swatting is now the thing to do if you would like to prank a celebrity. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter who you are. You could be Justin Bieber. You could be Paris Hilton. I Paul's, love that idea. Uh, pa- 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 Paris Hilton is, of course, Paul's favorite oh, wait, celebrity. Now I'm a suspect. <laughs> and then there was Ashton Kutcher and there was Clint Eastwood, any mm-hmm. number of them. And it's all apparently boiled down to a 12-year-old boy. Yep. As so many things seem to do. Pretty incredible. He, uh, he, in fact, admitted, I believe, that he was behind these. Yes, especially the one to Kutcher. And did he get... And Bieber. Did, <laughs> yes. He was probably just jealous of Bieber. Maybe so. He's, he's his peer. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Uh, did he explain how exactly he did it? Um, well, he used a TTY device, which I, I happen to know about because I used to room with a woman who was a deaf interpreter, and we had a TTY phone in our, our um, boathouse in Seattle. 
and it's a device used um, to translate uh, into uh, visible um, characters a phone how, call. How does that work exactly? It's a keyboard, basically, mm-hmm. on each end, and you essentially type to each other. To each other. Oh, okay, over a regular analog over phone Over a regular line. phone line, yeah. Interesting. I knew they existed. I've got clients who have used them, but I had no idea how they worked. So I don't know why they're, they're in these homes, but they're, uh, they are apparently a weak link in terms of being able to do this. Interesting. Well, he's fallen victim, or I should say they have fallen victim, and he has made them a victim. And, and typically they were, both Paris Hilton and Bieber were out of town. Yeah, one of the reasons people kind of guessed pretty quickly that that was not the case is that they were, in fact, tweeting from Miami, Florida, mm-hmm. I believe, which I don't know their <laughs> home is, but it's not known. It's also not really known how he ever obtained their home phone number in the first place, which may or may not be easy to get. Right. But part of the reason these cases are as interesting as they are is it takes some degree of technical knowledge to fake the phone call and then to discover where the number and what the number should be that you're faking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how, how they do this is varies from case to case, and in his case, he hasn't really come clean on it, so we may never know. Or, or they're just not releasing the information in circles that we can access. This is also true. I'm guessing they made the kid talk. <laughs> that sounds really They took away his fault. toys, you know? <laughs> no on. internet privileges for you. Speaking of toys, speaking <laughs> of toys, you can now potentially or will be able to potentially keep your toys on on the plane. Oh, yes. The FAA, we've talked about this before, has danced around the issue of why you can or cannot keep your phone on on the plane or your iPad or your Radio Shack disc player or whatever you might have on you at the time. And so far, they've been pretty steadfast about saying, no, it will cause the end of the world. They are supposedly, according to anonymous sources, going to change that in 2013. Yeah, there's supposedly a plan in place, but apparently they've said this before. They have, although from what I understand, there's a commission now that's made up of various industry individuals like the Association for Airline Stewardesses, which I didn't know existed and I guess makes complete sense. Do they actually call them stewardesses still? That was what Good. I read. Not in flight the title. attendants. Wow! That's how arcane! How sexy! I would have to pull. I don't know. Sue them. I don't look at me. It's not my fault. Wow! Steward I. You can. That's d- the plural of stewardess. You of know. course. Yes. Of course. I. I did figure. Amazon and Electronic Frontier Foundation and others, and they apparently are. Pers- working to be the voice of reason, considering that pilots and stewardesses or stewardi <laughs> or air persons are, in fact, now all using iPads during the flight. Well, you know, they, they specifically ask you to turn them off during flight and or during takeoff and landing, mm-hmm. which to me seems reasonable, not for the, the um, electronic hazard, it's probably not a hazard in itself, which is probably the reason people want it to end, mm-hmm. but more for the physical flying object reason. If you've got a laptop in your lap or wherever, Paul, I just God need- forbid there's a, a, a crash, that thing becomes a missile. I guess that's true, but I don't think that's ever been the reason that you couldn't keep them on. I mean, if you think about it, you can still pull out your book. Which, no, I mean, you can't have anything in your lap during takeoff and landing. 
I've been corrected on that before. Really? Yep. I mean, maybe a paperback or something like that. But um, have you ever been hit the paperback with a head? You have to have you. I mean, have shoes shoes and things underneath the chair, underneath the seat. They tell you to take anything that's in your lap, you know, uh, put under the seat. Or that is true. But I swear, I've read. You know, you can before you hit ten thousand feet, you can pull out stuff. Hmm. I mean, that's what I do when I can't use my iPhone or my computer on the plane. Is I pull out other stuff. That is my what kind of stuff? Well, Teddy bears. Well, no, generally heavy, blocky, bricky stuff like bricks, bricks of cheese, <laughs> and and volumes of books. I don't know. <laughs> Things that would definitely be a Your threat. Your three-volume Oxford Unabridged Dictionary. The Lord of the Rings travels with me <laughs> everywhere. Hardcover. <laughs> of course. Hardcover. How else would you read it? I, that, I can... I'll un- show them. I, you know, I don't know. I can understand not wanting people to be distracted or paying attention on takeoff and landing. And I guess I get, yeah, that things shouldn't be in their laps. But honestly, I electronic devices have definitely been singled out. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I have, you know. Do so you think it's a conspiracy? No, I just think that we are constantly terrified of whatever is new. Yeah. If we have a printing press, it's probably, you know, just the work of the devil. And if we have an iPhone, my gosh, it's going to crash all the planes right. and, and corrupt our children and end the world as we know it, which the latter is probably true. But it, this is totally unrelated to everything else. But I just. Perfect. Did, yes, we're the off topic topic show. I just did a career talk at one of our local middle schools. Mm-hmm. Boy, this which, really is off topic. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. And particularly since it is really something of a – I am something of a fraud to be giving any kind of a career talk. I don't think True any confessions. Question. Yes, definitely. Well, you should see the faces of the teachers when, when kids – you know, they all have their little scripted questions Talk about fear and panic. <laughs> you can see it on their faces because, you know, how many – of school did it take you to get to the where you silent went? scream and and you say none and the, the <laughs> teachers <laughs> they want to strangle you their eyes go large and some of them go purple and some of them start to twitch and you might you as don't well blame say them. drop out yeah. now the, the follow me children <laughs> let's just all go to the pied piper forest <laughs> in lazy mountain <clears throat> no so i'm a bit of a fraud but it's really fun every time you heard it ladies and gentlemen on live radio on careers i'm fraud not when it comes to being a nerd <laughs> that's really easy to be genuine on so i'm there we're talking about technology and i managed to elicit a response by asking whether or not they think their phones they should be able to use their phones during class mm. which as you might imagine was a really popular response with all of the students going no mm-hmm. we absolutely should be able to use them mm-hmm. and i said well you know we had a little bit of a conversation about it and there that classroom was not allowed to use them in general we have a phone call coming in Hey, Dang. I thought we didn't allow phone we're calls popular. during broadcast. No, we're really popular. Oh, that's right. We're a technology show. Hello, you are on the air. Hi, Michael and Paul. It's Megan. Hey, Megan. Megan, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Excellent. We are good. We're ranting and raving as usual. It's a good thing you interrupted me. I was just in the middle of I was just starting to foam at the mouth. Um, what what can what can we do for you? Well, I have a technology question. Oh, excellent. Believe it or not, you call the right number. This oh, is good. the number to call for that. Um, well, specifically about my computer. Okay. Um, what kind of a computer do you have? It's a MacBook Pro. Mm-hmm. Good choice. Yeah. Um, I think you recommend it to me, actually. You know. I, you know good choice. <laughs> good response. <laughs> 
Um, so last summer I was eating breakfast and I was eating a bowl of cinnamon toast crunch. So far this is not on topic. My favorite favorite cereal and I spilled it all over my keyboard. Ouch. Yeah. So it immediately stopped working Mm -hmm. and I sent it to some company to get it repaired Mm -hmm. and now it's marginally working. How is it margin? What what about it is marginal versus butter? Well, it has a really big lag time. Oh, so everything is slow. Yes. Has this been specifically since it got repaired? Yes. Pro- I mean, there's one of two things that that probably happened. One is um, the repair could have just not really worked the way it should have, which is which is totally possible and does happen. And for those who don't know, back in the day, if you spilled liquid on your computer, pretty much all you could do is swap out components until it worked again and you were happy or you were broke. Today you can send it off to companies that actually repair the components that are broken, and it's considerably cheaper to do. And in your case, uh, it's misbehaving since then. The other thing, though, that can happen, if your computer has been through such a traumatic incident, (laughs) then there is any number of other things that could be going on since almost certainly it stopped, you know, it it stopped working in a really harsh and sudden way when the liquid was spilled, and who knows what that did to the system. And I'm going to guess, since I know for a fact, actually, that (laughs) no no one has been checking your hard drive or reinstalled the operating system or did any other maintenance work on your computer since that repair happened, it's more likely that something like that is going on than something is physically wrong. Does that make sense? Yeah. And and the, if, if something's physically wrong, it generally manifests itself in really bad ways. Like stuff just stops working. It freezes outright. It won't wake up from sleep. It shuts down unexpectedly. Uh, sometimes it doesn't start up. Is it doing anything like that? Right. Exactly. It, it, it is doing that. all of those things. Well, not all of those things. <laughs> That's <laughs> bad. That's really bad. Run away. <laughs> yes, it's doing that. Oh no. <laughs> well, I was all confident for a minute. So, so does it ever not wake up from sleep? What'd you say? Did, does it ever not wake up from sleep? It's delayed, but it always. Wakes Would that up. mean it's dead? Okay. No, 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 no. Not waking up from sleep is not the same thing as being dead because then you can force it to turn off and turn itself mm. back on. Does it ever refuse to turn on at all? Um, no, no. Does it ever shut itself down unexpectedly? I think, it, yeah, it's done that once, but it's not a consistent issue. <laughs> okay. What's the most <laughs> consistent thing it, it does when it misbehaves? Um, well, for example, even when I'm not connected to the Internet, it'll... Um, I'll try to type something, and mm-hmm. it'll take five to thirty seconds before the words actually show up. Oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> and and you work on this? That's really impressive. It that still sounds like software to me, and okay. it could be it could be hardware, and you know it's totally linked to, of course spilling liquids on it and it got repaired and it's been doing it since then but it could either be the hard drive or hard corrupt software or some runaway piece of background process so you know if i were working on it the first thing i would do and actually this is something you can do at home in your utilities you know your applications folder is on on your mac yeah okay in your applications folder there's a utilities folder Okay. In the utilities folder, there's a disk utility, and you can use that to both verify the disk and repair disk permissions on the disk. And I don't know if I've ever told you to do that before, but if you haven't ever done that, that is, that's worth its weight in gold to at least try and see if that will make things better. Okay. 
And outside of that, then we sort of move into the realm of reinstalling the operating system or sending it back to the company and getting them to fix it under warranty. All right. Yeah. Now, when you go that utilities route, what's it actually doing? Uh, when you use a disk utility, it does two things. One, the, the disk check checks the actual physical hard drive and how it stores information on the drive and makes sure everything actually checks out to what the computer expects as to how it should be stored. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't have it stored in the way that it thinks it should be, A, that would, of course, slow it down or freak it out when it tries to read that bit of information. And B, it can actually repair it. It can say, okay, I've checked it. It's not what I think it should be. I'm going to correct it to what it should be. Hmm. And then disk uh, per- a permissions repair Every file on your computer has a set of permissions that says who can use it, who can open it, who can do something with it, et cetera, et cetera. That, because there's so many files and there's so many permissions, is, of course, stuff that can go cattywampus at pretty much any time. And if the computer can't access a file that I think it should be able to, it will also freak out. Your computer is basically a 12-year-old child with a permanent temper tantrum. So yours is just misbehaving extra. So do that, and then uh, let me know what does or does not happen as a result. If it comes out clean, we'll just go from there. If it comes up and says, you know, bad disk or fixed a bunch of permissions, that might take care of it. Okay. Well, good to know. Excellent. Does that that cover your questions? Do you have anything else? I think that covers my computer question. What do you think about um, the use of computers in classrooms? I mean, like personal um, smartphones and such. Um, I never had the opportunity to use them in Mm -hmm. classrooms. They were typically not allowed. Right, right. What Um, do you personally think about it? I don't know. I think they could potentially be a good writing tool, but Mm -hmm. also be pretty distracting. Yeah. Especially if Wi-Fi was fixed up. So, so one of the things that all those kids said is, well, we already are all texting all the time in secret, and we do it anyway um, in the classroom. It would make no difference to us. We've learned how to pay attention and focus. Um, true or false? Hmm. No opinion? Well, I don't honestly know. Um I guess if you're, you know, you have Internet access, you have more potential to be um, researching useful and beneficial information, whereas mm-hmm. with just a cell phone, um, your only item for distraction is your text messaging yeah. or other contacts. So if that's their argument, I would say I guess that has some validity. Okay. But Thank you, Megan. Thank yeah. you for letting us torture you. It's like we called yeah. into Megan and asked her well, questions. Thank you, guys. Excellent. Appreciate Have your a call. great evening. So you know you are now officially entered in the chance to win a free application for your iPhone, but you don't have an iPhone, right? No, I don't. Okay, so you are entered in a free chance to win a free application for your Mac. Great. Excellent. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot. See ya. Bye. So, yeah, just getting back to that topic for a minute, you know, mm-hmm. I think – Speaking as an educator now, I think there's some kind of classroom settings where it's totally inappropriate. But I think that there are some classroom and even school settings where it's absolutely essential. It's interesting you should mention that because I just have assumed and always thought that a a part of being in school that you can't use your iPhone. It's just not allowed. But the next class that came in, I asked him the same question, and I said, oh, well, not an issue for us. We do it all the time. We're allowed. 
And I was a little bit flabbergasted and taken aback. And, and where was this? Can you refresh? I don't. I, am I allowed to say these things? This was Colony Middle School. Okay. Which, by the way, say uh, I um, initially I should point out stopped at the high school and walked around for a while before I was like, oh, this isn't a middle school, right? There is a difference, and managed to make my way over to the other building. <laughs> they they were in an art class. And apparently it was part of their class that they would use their iPhone to do research or work on their projects or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And it just wasn't an issue for them. And that's why I even bring the question up because up until now I thought it was a pretty clear, here's what we thought and and it's just not allowed, period. So, <clears throat> Yeah, there are some schools that are, you know, Internet-based where that's just part of functionality. It's um, part of... Students log in to do coursework. They have educators there to help them. They they use their smart dev- devices as appropriate. Um, I don't know to what degree they manage, you know, social networking and all that. But I, from what I've understood, that's part of the learning. That well, social networking that's... is actually used in a communication. And I think this is sparking some opinions. So let's go ahead and take this call. Okay. Hello, you are on the air. Hi, Michael. Uh, long-time listener and many-time caller. Oh, Doug! It's, Doug. it's, it's, our, it's our preposition criticizer. <laughs> <laughs> don't cool. use any final prepositions with... Mm, uh, you know, uh, that's a uh, different topic tonight, but it's not only that preposition, but it's the, I think it says got before that. Yes. God, God is a terrible word, and, it, you know, we... we Got it from the Bible. It begotten, begotten has those sexual connotations. What it does so, not. No one says I got in. And well, now that you've said that, I think that. Jeez, I begot in. No, but that's kind of a, a side topic tonight. Yep. Um, I'm really, really enjoying this show, in particular this excellent in the classroom, and I, uh, I. A book publisher recently has allowed me to like test pilot of a program. Oh, it's a it's a writing program. I teach writing classes, and we we can use the computers. But it's something like eighty to eighty five percent of of my students have smartphones, and so they hooked up the smartphone app to this, and now students can can um, research like from databases from li- library databases right from their cell phone they right. they can check how to use sources they can create references pages um, move like move those references pages to their Google documents they can do all these things just while they're working on other projects during class and so, I mean, just like a year ago, I would be saying cell phone in the classroom. I mean, it's not a healthy distraction. It's not like doodling. I would say it was a terrible, terrible idea. But really, it's it's amazing how some of these just like simple little technologies can can make the classroom a, even a, a, a better experience. Now... Are they allowed to use any app on their phone while they're doing that? I mean, maybe not in theory, but do they theoretically have unrestricted access to everything their phone provides? Well, yeah, sure. And 
I guess that's that's always the challenge of of teaching, right? Is, is keeping everyone on track. Um, it's it's just like okay, so their cell phones, they're using their cell phone. Are they using it for an appropriate an, an appropriate reason? Something related to class? You know, most of the time, I'm never going to know. Just like the student who's sitting in the back of the room and appears to have their textbook open, but do they have a magazine? That's also right. on, on top of that. And, you know, and that's what's interesting to me is as I was talking to those kids, and as someone who's definitely not pro-technology or pro-social media everywhere all the time, I mean, I don't honestly, I mean, it's great in the classroom, and I'm a big advocate of it in the classroom, but at the same time, if we're being totally honest, you obviously don't need technology to have a perfectly good education. I mean, it, the, the, it's not 100% essential, even though, of course, it's an incredibly valuable tool. So from that perspective, I had never really considered too much whether or not it was an issue that you might ban smartphones in a classroom. But as we were talking, it occurred to me that one of the things that marks social and technological innovators in our society are the people who take pervasive technology that perhaps we are fighting against it, even though it's a bit of a tide. I mean, Mm -hmm. because in a sense, right, 85% of your students have smartphones, right? They're on Facebook. They're on Twitter. They're all doing this all the time. So we are, to some degree, fighting a tide. And the people who are really innovators, they take that and they say, okay, we can use that in ways we haven't thought of before. We can actually, rather than fight it, incorporate it and increase our efficiency. And I don't know what form that would take, but what you're describing already sounds a little bit like that. I, I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's as, as a teacher, it's hard. It's hard to let go of the... Out of that institutional past and that that hierarchy of of this is how we learn and we because I learned this way and so you will learn this yes. way. But that's not. I mean, that's. I mean, that's not not the best pedagogy most of the time. Well, thank you, Doug, for calling in. We're hitting the bottom of the hour. Um, we are going to go ahead and take a break now. Thank you, and you are now in competition with Megan for who gets something free. So we might make you guys duel it out to the death. All right, good night. Thanks very much. And we are going to be right back in just a few minutes. In the meantime, think of other questions or thoughts you might have. You can get in touch with us at 841-7368 and send us a text message on facebook.com slash jam. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to Radio Free Palmer, KVRF 89.5 on your FM dial. If you'd like to get involved with Radio Free Palmer, contact us at RadioFreePalmer.org. This is your chance to invent community radio in Sutton, Butte, Chickaloon, and the surrounding areas. Well, I don't know what I'm looking for, but I know that I just want to look some more. And I won't be satisfied till there's nothing left that I haven't tried. For some people, it's an easy choice, but for me, there's a devil and an angel's voice. Well, I don't know what I am looking for, but I know that I just want to look some more. And we are back. 
Sorry. No, yes. You haven't tuned out or turned away. It's possible you're suffering from temporary paralysis, in which case we can <laughs> offer Google or WebMD as an alternative to us. But in the meantime, while you're listening, Paul, I think you had some additional thoughts to smartphones in the classroom. Yeah, you know, there's been a, a move towards using technology devices to, to get f- instant feedback from students. Um, there have been devices that have integrated with, um, like, smart boards and Promethean boards and such so that uh, a teacher can pose a question and you get uh, an instant array of how many students feel this way or how many students feel that way or how many students understand a concept and then suddenly you realize how many don't. And so you redesign your teaching according to that information. We've We've got got a call, so we'll come back to this. And you are on the air. Who is this? This is Loreen. Loreen, how nice of you to call in. Yes, well, this is a really terrific show. Thank you for doing this. Oh, great. Fantastic. What can we do for you? Well, I guess now I I had a two-part question. Now I have a three-part question. (laughs) (laughs) But my first part is... uh, I have used those instant feedback devices in a classroom before where there's a quiz given or something and you have a clicker yeah. and use that. And um, it was good for demonstrating where the whole class was at so you didn't feel awful if you chose B and the answer was A. Yep, it's anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would never do that. But it shows the range, how many of people felt that way, right? Yeah, so it's good and it's a nice way for the professor then to turn around and say, well, we need to address this, and, yeah. and so I, I found that to be a good tool. And then also those score, those um, answers we gave were then recorded mm-hmm. somehow, and they knew what, how we were scoring, and, and they were counted as little quizzes and whatever, and I, I thought that was useful. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so on to my questions. Um, my first question has to do with MTA's service in the area. Ooh, excellent. We have really slow internet at our house, and we've done the internet um, speed test that you can do online to see what it is, and it comes in really, really low at like 200 and some whatever it is. 256 or something like that. Even though we're signed up for the highest that you can get on a DSL. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. Ouch. Wow. Ouch. Okay. Right. So we still pay, and they said the only answer they've given us is that we can reduce the service that we get so we're paying less per month but then i said well what happens if we have a time when there's fast internet you don't get it right so so that what they told me is that their like hub is at wolf lake and they keep talking about putting another hub over in palmer are you guys aware of their progress on that by any chance no here's here's uh, i can tell you a couple of things one is it's a long-standing issue, of course, with DSL. I mean, cable, either run cable to, to your house or you don't have cable, the end. Uh, with DSL, it works on phone lines, and it works a certain distance away from a box, at the name of which I can't remember now, that actually propagates the connection. And the further away you are from the box, as you obviously know, the slower the connection gets. After a certain point, it, no matter what you're paying for, you only get a certain speed. Um, MTA installs those boxes and tries to sort of figure out based on the number of people that are there. I can tell you that they are actually pretty receptive to being bugged all the time. They hate that. But we, my brother and I, spent a significant period of time bugging them to get DSL up to Lazy Mountain. 
and um, it, it it took it took a couple of years actually. But I know for a fact from talking to the people there that it's just the fact that we called all the time had plenty to do with it. They're a small company, so you making their lives difficult makes a difference. Well, and I know that um, yeah, we did the same thing. We bugged them for DSL. So I'm glad right. to know there were other people on Lazy Mountain bugging them for DSL. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and then the other thing is, it's interesting you should ask that because just today, I had a, a client who's really disgruntled with MTA for completely unrelated reasons and wanted to switch out. And they actually ended up switching to ACS Wireless because you can now get wireless internet from various companies like ACS and AT&T. And uh, the prices have dropped considerably from the last time I checked. And she ended up getting, for 70 bucks a month, she ended up getting 3 megabit internet and a 10 gigabyte cap, which is more expensive than what MTA would get you, but not by a lot, honestly. And so is that with a dish or something? Yeah, well, essentially, yeah, you get a, a little brick in your house that acts as a cellular receiver. Ah, and you can even attach antennas to it if you want to get a better signal. Paul has some experience with that. And then it acts as a wireless hotspot in your house that computers and phones can connect to. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I read about that in Popular Mechanics and had that little article cut out for about six months and never acted on it. Mm. <laughs> well, exactly. But so, you know, I mean, I, MTA might even offer it. I don't know. But I, I don't think they do. But AT&T does in our area. ACS does. And GCI, they, all three of them do offer it. And that might be worth for you looking into it for you because, I mean, honestly, uh, them offering, they're unlikely to bump up to a higher speed tomorrow in this day and age. 256, if you're a family that uses the Internet to any degree, is kind of painful. So do you get a good cell phone signal is the next question. No, we, get, we don't so get that. Help. I don't think that would help. They would have to boost the cell phone signal. True. Which that is, is what I have to do in Fairbanks. We can't we can't talk on our cell phones at our house because Sutton won't allow towers where they are, and so here we are, no cell phone service. Dang. Okay. Well, then I, huh? I I, I would wonder if Paul's antenna thing would work for you, but I'd hate hesitate to recommend investing, you know, in three hundred and fifty dollars worth of equipment or how this, much was this it was not the nearly that expensive. Mm. I, I think I paid a hundred hundred and twenty dollars for a little device that runs to AC power, and um, the cell phone sits in a cradle device that has a coaxial cable that goes up onto the roof um, so that it it boosts the signal to the cell phone. And then I actually use the the cell phone as a hotspot to communicate with the laptop. I know that might all sound frightfully, like, Involved, but no, it it, it sounds it, it, the the popular mechanics article made it really sound really simple. So I do have I have another client who in years past used a cell phone booster and a cellular data connection to get internet access off in Juno miles from anything. He didn't get a cell phone signal. He didn't get. Inter- I mean, he was just on an island basically, and he was connected permanently. So he had to boost the signal of the cell phone. Yep, and then he was. He actually boosted a signal of the ACS device. It wasn't even a the cell phone. Oh. He had an antenna for the device and then he got the, the cellular data signal from them. So the one device handled both. Yep. Good so, to know. So, okay. yeah. Was that, is that your two-part question or is that your three-part question? No, now, now I actually have a, another question. It's actually not even parts. It's just a totally separate question. You raised Excellent. another question. So, um, on our computer, our desktop computer on the tower, we have this issue where everything's plugged into a power strip 
but occasionally our USB ports stop working. And I okay. talked to somebody, and they said, well, static can build up in the USB ports. What? And no. so then what we do is we turn off the computer, we turn off the power strip, we let it sit for about a minute, turn everything back on, and then the USB ports start working again. Yes, that part makes sense. The static part building up in the USB ports is the equivalent of saying that the black cat ruined your day. Um, I, I, <laughs> it's just a matter of start restarting. Well, it, you know what? It's if something like that happens, if your hardware is not working, period, that means there's something wrong with the hardware, which probably means a component is failing or just malfunctioning. Um, shutting something down and turning off the power strip has the effect of draining all the power from the components, which essentially resets them. And so, what that, what you're talking about is a classic troubleshooting technique. You can like the lap, Megan's laptop might behave better if you were to shut it down, pull out the battery, let it sit for five minutes, and then hook up everything. Of course, they pull the battery out. Yeah. So you actually have to let it die. Well, with a desktop computer, you turn off the power strip, it dies. You've cut it off. It, it has yeah. to be resurrected again with new power. So it sounds to me like you have a bad USB card. And if those USB ports are actually soldered into the like the onto the computer. The great thing about a desktop computer is you can get an additional card with USB ports for like $15 that'll plug in and should work fine. Well, we have like um, one of these multi-cable things that we can plug in. Little hub. And um, that even won't work too when this is going on. But where do you plug in the multi-cable thing? Um, Good question. I'm just, my, my assumption is, my guess is, is that the ports on that computer go wacky, and plugging in a card may or may not fix it, but it's certainly worth a shot. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's well, what we'll, I would say. We'll give that a try. I know this tower is. Uh, but you know. no, the, the one thing I can concretely say is that static electricity is not your problem. <laughs> Except for the carpeting. All right. Yes, good. exactly. All right. Thanks, Lorraine. Thank you. Yep. Thanks Bye. for calling. Bye. Bye. Mike, you have a question. Well, actually, I, I, something to throw in here. Uh, when you were talking, I, I just wanted to, to say that we've obviously, uh, here at the station, had three locations, one in downtown Palmer, one on Lacey Mountain, and one out there in Sutton. And so over the past few years, we've gone through a, a lot of discussion back and forth about how to do things. So let me just share a couple things, maybe of interest. One is uh, when we first set up uh, out in Sutton, uh, we were up on Eskimine Road, uh, a long way from most anything. And as we sat down with the engineers and looked at how we were going to get a, a reasonable DSL connection out there, we ended up with what's referred to as a bonded pair. So it essentially, if you're some distance from huts uh, and you need to throw uh, a, a, a DSL that will be of, of, of a goodly bandwidth, then uh, doing a bonded pair is, uh, seems to work very well. Uh, the second thing is, and so I'm not sure whether she had uh, that bonded comp- pair referring to. It's essentially uh, it, it's using a modem which uses two lines. Rather, I would, yeah, or, I was going to say my guess is that it uses all four all lines. four lines, all four all four wires right. 
uh, it doesn't have to be two phone lines. For example, we still have one phone line on there, but we instead of as is usually done, uh, you use two two of the wires. Uh, you use all four, and you're essentially uh, using a different kind of modem. And your cap- your your ability to use DSL at a higher speed at a greater distance is enhanced. So that's one thing to explore. The second thing is. Uh, over time on Lazy Mountain, there was a significant in- improvement uh, made over the last couple of years because fiber was laid and a new hut was put in. So there was a period of time when uh, service was, was pretty low, and then as time went on, it evolved into a, a better quality. So our service up there, uh, which is on Huntley, as you go on up uh, a distance, has been rock steady at a, at a good good level, as, uh, as, my, uh, as are other people up there. So there are some things that have been happening over time, and uh, I, I would just say that in our case, it was persistence and continuing to work and saying, you know, this doesn't make sense, and, and uh, MTA was responsive. So they actually they actually put in a bonded pair for you. I mean, they're willing to oh, yeah. activate that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And they'll do that for anyone who's at a distance from where uh, your hut is. And it's something to explore with MTA. Uh, I can tell you that it, it's worked uh, beautifully for us. Uh, that site, which is somewhat remote, uh, has uh, pretty high speed, and it uh, it gives us zero trouble. And is that that's with the hard wire, correct? This yeah, that's just with the with telephone. The, my wonder, I, what I wonder though, is whether or not that would play into how it affects their voice line if you're still using that line for a home phone we use it uh we use it out there i uh, when i'm out there servicing the equipment uh, i use the voice line we use the in fact we use the voice line uh with all of the uh, uh accoutrements uh for example two rings uh we use it uh, where i uh, uh call in dial in and and uh, do a code uh for a selective uh operation of some of the equipment and then when I'm out there, I've often used the phone to call while everything is running, et cetera, when I'm calling back to, to talk to people. Works uh, works fine. Well, there you have it. Yeah, then I would definitely talk to them. If they're willing to do that, I'd, I'd never heard from MTA that they're willing to do anything above and beyond what was simply available. So if that if they're willing to work with someone, that's fantastic. I think, uh, it, it's my understanding, and I would have them check. It would be interesting to have her, I'm hoping she's listening, uh, to be able to uh, check that out and uh, ask the call center. And well, we can there. check into that also and that would be good. come back next week with hopefully some useful information on that topic. Sure. Fantastic. Now, before we get any later into the evening, one of the things, and we have a number of fascinating news articles to talk to you about, uh, other amazing opinions to disclose to you. I also want to talk about what a number of people have asked me to talk about, which is how you can control your privacy on the Internet. And we've covered this in terms of what you can do with Google before, and, of course, Someone just asked me, Kevin, in fact, just asked me before the show started whether or not it's even possible to protect your privacy on the Internet. And I would just throw out that at its most basic, if you really want to be super secure, you it, the, one thing you can do is turn on the, do, uh, the um, private browsing feature on your browser, whatever browser you're using, whether it's Safari, whether it's Firefox. Firefox calls it hidden browsing. Uh, Chrome calls it something else. Uh, and Safari calls it private browsing. 
And when you turn those on, every time you close your browsing window, your history is erased automatically. Your cookies are never accepted, although the interesting thing, they're accepted from a site in the sense that you'll be able to work with a site that requires cookies during the Mm. duration of your visit. Mm. But when you leave, all your cookies leave Mm. with you. So you can reduce your footprint on the Internet pretty dramatically. Where's that private browsing? Private browsing under Safari is under the Safari menu. So if you are using Safari on the Mac, any application using the Mac has its name in the upper left-hand corner. If you click on that, you can choose private browsing then and there. Hmm. The same thing goes for Firefox. I know Chrome has the same feature, but I'll try to look that up as we speak. And um, I I know it works in the same way. Internet Explorer has the same. They all do. Every modern Mm. browser today can essentially anonymize you. Yep. Okay. If you want to be even more secure on top of that and look up, you know, dissident information against your government, you can use the Tor network, T-O-R. And this is probably devolving off of what I was originally going to talk about. But the Tor client on your computer makes multiple connections to various places around the world before your computer makes a connection to the website you want to browse. Mm-hmm. And as a result, when you visit a website or when you do your searches or you do your activities on the Internet and someone sees your IP address, your unique identifier, it's actually coming from these other locations on the planet thanks to your Tor client. Hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So you're – and that is – you're truly anonymous. That's what com- – Organizations, if you want to call it an organization, that is what hackers who call themselves part of the hacker collectivist group Anonymous do. It it is what activists in places like Iran or Cuba or China do. It is how you get on the Internet and maintain your anonymity. So if you want to be truly off the grid, you can turn on private browsing and you can use Tor and you are a faceless, nameless entity surfing the Internet. How How do you use Tor? Tor is an application you download. Mm. Google T-O-R, mm. and it will download itself for you I and see. install itself for you, and you can take it from there. Hmm. And there's our people have made plenty of arguments that people should have it on just by default, period. Because, shoot, why should people know mm-hmm. where you're com- coming from? Yeah, yeah. That being said, if you're a slightly more normal human being and you don't aren't necessarily so concerned that you want to have your history erased every time, because I personally actually really like having yeah, my history. Yeah, it's nice to be able to back up yep. sometimes. And if you don't want your cookies all gone every time, meaning, you know, for example, I use Facebook, I don't want to have to log into Facebook every time I visit. Mm. Having a cookie lets me just type in Facebook.com and boom, I'm there. Mm. Same thing for Gmail. Same thing for any number of other services I use, a WordPress site that I'm editing. I don't have to log in each time because I have a cookie from the site that maintains itself for 24 hours or whatever that lets me just go to the site and I'm automatically logged in. Mm-hmm. Very handy. So you might want to control your privacy Anyway, and it's gotten, since the last time we talked about it, it's gotten even easier than it was. And I'm going to cover three things. One, what you can do in your web browser. Two, what you can do with Google. And three, what you can do with Facebook. There are obviously other services and uh, sites out there that you might want to be protected from. But one of the reasons that this comes up for people as an issue is that you might make a search on the Internet, say, Banana Slicer. The mm-hmm. X52 Banana Slicer oh, yeah. Deluxe Edition, Excellent. which Paul and I both love Great and recommend heartily. Yes. So let's say you research Banana Slicer on the Internet, and then you go visit another site unrelated to this in any way. Let us say, you know, wildmonkeys.com, whatever it may be, or extremeties.net, <laughs> also, whatever the case may be. 
And lo and behold, right there, there's an ad for Banana Slicer. And you think, well, wh- what were the chances of that? Wow, what right. random coinkydink, right? No. No, no, not, not <laughs> the slightest. You go to another site, and lo and behold, there's Banana and Pineapple Slicer. Right. Are you interested in this, perhaps? And if you so like this, you'll like this. And so on and so forth. Yeah. The reason for that, of course, is that... Every service on the Internet is desperately trying to track what you do. They would love to know where you're from. They would love to know your rough age bracket. And they would love to know what sites you visited and how long you're on those sites. And if you do a search on Google, this is just as an example, Google will happily dump a cookie on your computer that then says, oh, this computer searched for these things. And then every other site that you go to that shows Google ads Checks and sees, oh, do you have a cookie? Okay, you do. Cool. What have you searched for? You search for these things. Great. We're going to show you ads related to that. Mm-hmm. Yep. The, the upside being, in theory, you're, it's anonymous. They're not supposed to give away your name or your email address or your phone number or, or you know, anything that could be used to identify you, Paul Morley, as someone who visits mm-hmm. wildties.net. Mm-hmm. Although I have to say you wear some pretty crazy ties. <laughs> it, it, so... Theoretically, nothing terrible is being invaded. Mm-hmm. That being said, In and theory. we've covered this on the show, yeah, you visit Google, they're tracking your searches. You go to Facebook, and there's your phone number and your address, and maybe your privacy settings aren't what they were. And maybe somehow someone's email database gets compromised and their email gets out, and then you can just ask, start aggregating all this information into right. an incredibly complete profile of Paul or Michael or whoever mm-hmm. it is. And who knows what they can do with that? Call a SWAT team to your house, yeah. for example, right. which, you know, not my idea of a fun Monday night. So if you are using Google, if you use Google as your search engine, you, it's gotten a lot easier over what it used to be. And all you have to actually do is you can go to Google and you can Google your ad preferences, Google ad preferences. And that is going to go ahead and link you directly to a site that actually lets you opt out whether or not you're logged in. Back in the day, I've told people before, you actually need a Google account to set your Google search preferences. That is not the case. You can opt out of Google tracking you and tracking your search results entirely. The irony being is that they use a cookie to check whether or not you've opted mm. out, which means that you don't want to turn off all your cookies mm-hmm. because then they won't know if you've opted out or not. Of course, if you've turned off all your cookies, it wouldn't really make much of a difference one way or the other. One of the reasons you might want to do this, again, is you want your cookies on for whatever reason. So opting out of your Google search settings is useful and handy, and I can recommend it. Facebook, on the, on the other hand, has also really increased how easy it is to maintain your your Facebook privacy settings. And now if you go to Facebook, there's a little lock icon in the upper right-hand corner. Mm-hmm. You click that lock icon, and you can, right from then and there, check and see who's allowed to see stuff you post, mm-hmm. which is handy. Who's allowed to see what on your wall, also mm-hmm. handy. And perhaps more importantly, you can see what people have posted about you, which you may not even be aware of. Or really want to read. Or want to read, or maybe you don't want to say that so-and-so checked in with who and how at the Palmer Bar at what hour for what reason. You can actually remove it from there. You have control over Uh. people tagging you, and you can, without requesting it, you can remove information about yourself. You can untag yourself from photos. You can remove yourself from posts, whatever it is. You can remove references. It shows you all the references? It does. Oh, my gosh. All the references. All of the references. Which is, again, it's great. 
And, and then this is sort of where I'm going with this is through increased public exposure and public outcry, these companies, they want people to continue using their services, right? And they're really hoping that you continue to let your information roam free on the Internet. The only way they can do that is by giving you some reasonable level of security that you do, in fact, have control over what you're saying and doing. So Facebook has made a inc really increased effort to try and make sure that you actually can see who sees what mm -hmm. and why. And you should check those settings. That's the other thing. It is amazing to me how many people have stuff that's actually public on the Internet. Mm -hmm. And part of it is, is applications ask you questions like, I don't know if you've ever gotten an app or program that lets you log in with Facebook. Mm -hmm. When you log in with Facebook onto your app, you might be automatically giving that application permissions to your Facebook account that you didn't want to give. Wow. So you should always check because Facebook, again, privacy button in the upper right-hand corner of your Facebook screen lets you set what the settings are as to what applications have access to what on your account. Hmm. And the final thing you can do is you can actually control cookies individually on your computer if you're using Firefox or Chrome or Safari. You can go to the menu for that particular browser, the Chrome menu, the Safari menu, Firefox menu in the upper left-hand corner. Choose Preferences, and you can choose to either just erase all the cookies that you have all together, or you can actually go through and you can choose specific sites that you allow or disallow. Mm -hmm. And that way you can say, I'm fine with cookies, but I don't want Facebook tracking me, or I don't want hardly any sites but Facebook tracking mm. me. You have control over that. And the, the end result is that you really, at the end of the day, there shouldn't be any social information leaking out that you don't want onto the Internet. The final thing I'll note is that today a, a really popular thing to do is to be an ad broker or to be a data broker. I'm sorry. It's a big business. There are 147 companies in the United States right now dedicated to aggregating information and selling it. But there's also a clearinghouse that makes a list of these data brokers and links to whether or not you can opt out of their information being available. And if you go to – if you Google privacy rights clearinghouse – you can see that list. It's privacyrights.org, and you can then opt out. And you don't have to opt out out of all 147 because a lot of them actually get their information from the other companies. There's a couple of the, the companies that are really large, Axiom, Been Verified, My Life, Intellius, Spokio. I don't know if you use Spokio, but it's actually really cool. Mm -hmm. If I were to go to Spokio right now and type in my name, it would tell me my home address and my age and my rough income. I have no idea how it knows that, but it wow. does. Uh, Rapleaf, White Pages, and People Smart. Those are the big guys. Hmm. You can opt out and remove your information from there. So that would be my recommendation. If you're worried about your privacy on the Internet, opt out of ad tracking on Google. Double-check your privacy settings on Facebook. Check and see what cookies are being used in your browser, or you just turn them off entirely, but you probably want them on. So check and see what the cookies are. Again, that's under the privacy settings of your browser's preferences. And finally, if you feel like your information is getting out there, you can go to Spokio.com and do a search for your name and see what information is available pretty much immediately. Well, Then go ahead and opt out of being available. And those are our official recommendations. 
It'd be good. Be good to post those recommendations somewhere. Those are going to go up on our website, outofajam.net slash blog. And actually, the instructions for uh, opting out or controlling your Google privacy settings are already on there. Excellent. You can find them now. The rest of this information will be going up there shortly, which is just another great reason for you to check it all the time. <laughs> hey, I just want to tack on to something. We got a call, and we hadn't completely finished a thought. We were talking about the use of electronic devices in the classroom for polling. Mm-hmm. But one of the new innovations that's rendering those devices um, perhaps obsolete in the near future are a variety of um, web apps that um, do the same thing, but from a smartphone. One of them is Everywhere dot poll, or poll Everywhere, everywhere. Poll, or Poll Everywhere, excuse me. Yes. And um, I've seen it in action. It's just as useful as the little clicker devices that Lorraine was talking about. Um, but they are free, and uh, as many people as you have that have a cell phone, they have the device. Poll Everywhere is awesome, and we are officially out of time. We have blasted through our hour. We don't haven't even hit all the bits of news we wanted to hit, which we will do next week. Yes. Please tune in next week for this and so much more. We will look forward to talking to you then. See you later. One day.